This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Naeem Ishaq, CFO of Circle, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 461. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Andrew Jackson of Raw Medical Systems. I'd argue Andrew opened his most exciting career chapter to date when last April he joined Raw Medical and buckled himself in for an exciting IPO journey inside a realm dedicated to fighting disease. We're pleased to share with you his story, which if nothing else, reveals why finance is an exciting place to be. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Andrew Jackson, CFO of Rock Medical Systems, a developer of tools to treat vascular and dermatological diseases. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be on this podcast. It's great to have you. Uh, it's been a while since we, we had a, uh, a representative from this interesting area that you've developed these tools for. I have to say, I can't recall one specifically, but so we're, we want to learn about your background. And uh, would you look back for us and share with us some of the experiences that prepared you uh, to be CFO of Raw Medical Systems? Sure. Yeah, it really started with my foundation in accounting. So I got my undergraduate degree in accounting, my CPA license, uh, my MBA, and then I worked my way up to corporate controller. And then as I got more experienced as corporate controller, 
I assisted the CFOs in various debt and equity financings and became more part of the executive team helping make strategic decisions for the different companies. So then when the CFO role opened up for me at Ceridon Corporation, both the CEO and I thought I had the experience and skills needed to run the finance team there, and that became my first CFO role. So then uh, several years later, when I heard about Raw Medical and I researched the company a little, I jumped at the opportunity to lead the finance team here. So when I looked at the company at the time, I saw it had a strong management team, there's no long-term debt, there's only one class of stock, uh, it had FDA clearance, and it had proven itself operationally for over 14 years. And I thought, I really got to pay attention to this company. In fact, I knew during my first interview here that I found my new home. So in that first interview, the CEO walked me through how he had built his first medical laser back in the early 90s to treat transmyocardial revascularization. So the laser worked really well for open-heart surgery, but couldn't navigate the tortuosity of the vasculature. So starting then, he had been on a 25-year pursuit to effectively get the ultraviolet light from the laser source to the lesion in the vasculature, and it culminated in FDA clearance last year for our vascular product. So the company started, uh, like you said earlier, with uh, an eczema laser technology targeting dermatology applications, and the company then bootstrapped itself and used profits from the dermatology and nominal financing to fund the R&D of the vascular product line, which uses the same eczema laser technology. In fact, in that interview, I clearly remember holding Raw Medical's catheter and comparing the sophistication and simplicity to our competitors' devices and thinking this is going to be a major disruptive product that's going to save lives and limbs every day, and I want to be a part of this company. Now, your door of entry was only earlier this year, is that right? That's right, April this year. Obviously, there was a lot uh, there that attracted you, and you, you thought it was such a wonderful opportunity. At the, at the same time, um, can you tell us something about the team you were inheriting? What was there? What was in place for the finance function? Well, you know, I was very lucky. I had a great team to start with, um, so I really didn't have to do any reorganizing there. Um, I did add certain functions that were needed, like an SEC reporting function that wasn't necessary before. Um, but really, as far as the team went, I just had a great team to start working with. Um, you know, I, I wanted to create a role for myself that was more than just finance, so, so I wanted to get involved operationally and also be collaborative with all the other areas of the company as well, as well as dealing with investors and performing the finance function. I'm trying to click on one of your press releases here. Forgive me. Um, I wanted to see pricing of initial public offering. So you did this just uh, recently. You went public. Is this right? That's absolutely right. So I joined in April uh, two weeks. Uh, my start date was two weeks after the org meeting to go public. And then we filed our first confidential S1 with the SEC just a month after I joined. Now, this was not your first rodeo. Uh, if we step back in time, you were CFO. Had you taken another uh, company public before, or what would you tell us? You know, I hadn't taken a company public before, but I had worked at two companies where I joined shortly after they went public, like within a few months, and did all the first-year public filings and uh, 
and uh, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance, and I'd worked at two other companies that got very close to going public. So I had experience on both sides, and uh, this was actually my first time crossing the line. You are climbing aboard a moving vehicle. I, I mean, you are you are jumping on board a company that is is really headed down the IPO path uh, quite swiftly uh, when you joined last April. Am I overstating that, or how would you? No, that was, that was exactly right. It was uh, it was you know jumping into the fire. Um, just the company was moving so fast, um, but everything was positive. Um, you know, everyone is excited, and it's easy to get caught up in uh, you know, in the excitement and just work hard and do no matter what it takes to to get across the finish line, which is which is what we did. Well, w- when we wrap up, we always ask for your uh, priorities over the next twelve months, and uh, we will uh, be interested to hear how, in the wake of this IPO, what your priorities are. Uh, but right now, I, can you, I want to just take a step back and, and uh, look at some of your earlier career experiences, because you were with a variety of companies. Were they, um, were they in different industries, or from the start, were you sort of focused inside this area? Well, you know, the first the first half of um, my career was, was primarily semiconductors, and then the second half of my career has been life science. And what I really like about the life science industry is you have the same deadlines and excitement that you do with a uh, with a technology company, but yet you're saving lives and limbs, and that's really appealing. Was there any challenge there? When you did make that switch, semiconductors to life sciences, no, you know, changing industries really didn't present uh, any obstacles. Uh, my skills transferred just fine. I'd say that you know the, the life science industry, uh, talking about saving lives and uh, and uh, this company saving limbs as well, you know, just encouraged me to work harder, and I was just more dedicated to uh, you know to moving the company forward. So it, it was actually a, an improvement for me. Now. You've been in America for quite some time, but you do have an interesting accent, which I don't think is West Coast. What, what, where, where are your origins? That's right. So South Africa is my origin. I was born and raised in South Africa, and then we moved to America in '85. So you entered. You actually went through American colleges and universities, however. So you've been here a while, and you built your career here. Is that right? That, that's exactly right. Uh, is that in any way inform you the way you look at the world, having adopted a country? Um, well, you know, I think it, what it did is it just taught me to be really, really resourceful right off the bat. So, you know, when you move to a new company, I mean, when you move to a new country and a new continent, you really have to be resourceful, uh, get up to speed quickly, and, uh, and navigate things in a way that you don't have the background uh, that other people have to navigate. So, uh, you know, that's probably helped me in my career as I've had to navigate uh, you know, new opportunities. So I have to say, your parents named you Andrew Jackson, you, and you grew up in America. Lucky you, huh? Yeah, you know, it was completely coincidence when I, when I was named, you know, in South Africa, the name Andrew Jackson was as common as, I don't want to say as common, but as meaningless as Bill Smith, you know? Uh, and it was only when I came to America that, uh, you, you know, people said, hey, he was a president and blah, blah, blah. Now, you've outlined the opportunity there that stands in front of you at Ron Medical, but can you give us a better sense of what are 
the metrics that are important to you now? What are you looking at day to day? What, what, what's your, your daily experience like? Yeah, so on a daily basis, I look at sales, you know, unit sales, and, and I also look at our cash balance and our cash usage. So with our IPO proceeds, we've been ramping our sales force, and so I also monitor our hiring. Uh, you know, a sales rep hire today is a, is a catalyst for revenue tomorrow. And uh, I also look at the execution of our usage agreements. So those are documents that our customers sign when they accept our capital laser placement at their site and begin ordering single-use catheters, which is recurring revenue for us. Now, do you, as a finance leader today, do you have enough visibility, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're finding ways to get visibility into the sales pipeline and CRM, and uh, very often we're talking to finance leaders these days about non-financial metrics, so I'm wondering if you've got that sort of visibility uh, into other areas of the business. Um, you know, when it comes to non-financial metrics, uh, one of the things that we're looking at is our digital footprint, and uh, we're utilizing search engine optimization, or SEO, to increase awareness of our products among physicians and patients. So we're inserting raw medical into strategic conversations online and keeping track of its impact on sales. As an example, on our Facebook page, we've got a practice resource section with a certified nurse who has real-time conversations with patients, and that's generating hundreds of interactions per week, uh, increasing awareness of both peripheral artery disease and of our product. Okay, so interesting. You're, you're keeping track of how uh, digital visibility and social interaction is, is triggering sales. I want to ask you about, uh, we always ask for a finance strategic moment, and again, this could be any time during your career. It doesn't have to be uh, with your time at Raw Medical Systems, uh, where you experienced uh, some moment of insight, given your lines of sight as a finance leader. You know, there is one that comes to mind, and it's one of those counterintuitive ones where you have to think outside the box. So at a prior life science company I worked at, we had a reimbursement cut by Medicare, and we had to perform another clinical trial to reapply for it. So the mantra up until that point, as you can imagine for CFO, is to grow revenue. But now we were faced with negative margin. So we made the strategic decision to reduce our revenue, which also reduced our costs, temporarily while we completed our clinical trial and reapplied for that reimbursement. So it seemed counterintuitive to reduce revenue, but it paid off because by reducing our cash burn, we were able to stretch the cash we had through the reapplication process, which was successful, and then we were able to secure more financing and regrow the company again. Wow. Great, great example for us. We have uh, quite a few fast-growth <laughs> companies as part of our listenership, so uh, appreciate insights like that one. Uh, we're trying to understand better how finance is helping companies with their sort of their talent models, how they hire, when they can allocate funds for hiring. When it comes to talent and hiring, how do you, how, in your experience, how is, what role does finance play? Well, you know, employees are assets of the company, and, uh, you know, we need to treat them that way. They're the key to our future success. Um, employee turnover is expensive. So I think the key is to balance employee retention and morale 
while still maintaining you know, minimum performance metrics. The, the more time the hiring managers can spend up front on the interview process, the better outcome you have in the long term. And then I think it's important when employees come on board that you make sure they've got the right tools and resources to be successful. So as an example, at Raw Medical, we have a cloud-based training program for our sales reps that distributes continuing education modules to their tablets. And we can monitor which reps score well on the test and which reps need more coaching. Uh, we're going we're gonna to step into the mentoring round, but I want to ask you something here. Many of the companies that you've been part of, you've spent years at. You've made an investment of time with, with uh, a number of them. Um, and it seems like you've been a thoughtful uh, career builder where, you know, looking back on, on your career history, I would say you're a, a thoughtful and careful career builder. What does that mean? It means you didn't necessarily take sizable risks. And what I want you to do is correct me. I want you to say, well, the fact is, is there are always risks, and, and I did at one point in time uh, advance down a, a riskier path. Um, is, that, is that an appropriate question? Is that okay? No, that, that, that's totally okay. And, uh, and, and I do have one of those, well, there actually was risk. <laughs> so it looks very calculated, and, uh, and, and in some ways it was. But there were risks, and uh, the path wasn't a straight line. So really what I did is I accumulated a bunch of different experiences and skill sets along the way, some of which were lateral, but it was the accumulation of those experiences that allowed me to take big step functions, you know, eventually becoming CFO. So if you look at my resume, you'll see that early on in my career, I strategically took the job title demotion going from a controller at a private company to a system controller at a public company. So it might seem counterintuitive, but the SEC reporting and compliance skills that I learned as the assistant controller were invaluable in preparing me for future leadership positions at publicly traded companies. So that's an example of where it might seem like there's no risk, but that was kind of a risky move to, to take a, a, a title step down, but that it ended up paying off in the long run. And those are sort of the trade-offs that many uh, finance executives make along the way. So I think a lot of our listeners will relate to that. We return with CFO Andrew Jackson after our Thought Leader Minute. Hey, hello. We're attending Sage Intact's annual Advantage Conference in Nashville this week, and we're pleased to catch up with Kathy Lord, Sage Intact's SVP of the Customer experience. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. So, Kathy, clearly a company's customer retention numbers are today counted among the non-financial metrics that are top of mind for CFOs these days. But when it comes to customer success, what are some of the other non-financial metrics that you think finance leaders might want to be keeping a, a close eye on? Absolutely. And, and really, when you think about the other metrics, it's not that much different than when you think about traditional bookings or pipeline. There's a lot of metrics you look at before you get to bookings or revenue that are good leading indicators of the health of the business. And so when you think about customer success, those metrics, and depending on what business you're in, can be everything from product usage. So has product usage spiked or declined? Has the number of users within an account increased or decreased 
what is their lifetime value? Is that going up? Is that going down? Um, and those are sort of the obvious ones that you can think about. Some of the less obvious ones are, it's not just a matter of managing those churn numbers. Ideally, those customers are helping you drive more customers. So things that more of the advanced companies are thinking about are how many referrals has that customer given us? How many reviews has that customer giving us? Are they renewing begrudgingly or are they really happy? And those reviews, the referrals, those are the things that start to tell you, do I have a, a, somebody who's just renewing or do I have a really happy customer who's an advocate for our business? And so um, those are some of the additional non-financial metrics that depending on your business and what the product or service is, you want to be defining to start to measure in advance of seeing that churn happen and or seeing if a customer's truly happy or just they don't have anywhere else to go, so they're staying with you. Kathy, we have to return to our featured CFO interview, but we have some other questions for you. Will you uh, stick with us and answer just a few more questions? Absolutely, Jack. Happy to. We'll be back with Kathy at the very end of today's episode. Stick with us. think from the start, you let us know what's exciting you about finance and business today, but I'm going to ask this question regardless. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, you know, 2018 has been a great year for IPOs and financing. Let's hope it continues. I think one of the other things that's exciting is finance and operations continue to be more integrated as companies making the CFO role more valuable and also more interesting. So when I first started my career, the CFOs of publicly traded companies were primarily outward facing, but at Raw Medical, I spent a significant amount of my time involved in sales and operations, and I think that trend is going to continue uh, in the long run. When you, uh, and this goes back in time because you've had a number of CFO tours of duty, but when you first stepped into a CFO role and you were the finance chief, what is that piece of advice you wish someone had told you before, as you stepped into that role? You know, I think it would just be the, the confidence that knowing that the different pieces of experience that you've accumulated uh, have prepared you for the role and that you know what you need to do to get the job done. Do you have a a routine or a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way? You know, I don't know about routine, but I'd say that, uh, you know, devoting hard work and time to the projects I tackle definitely has paid off. And I think what helps is engaging in projects that excite you and that you're passionate about. So at Raw Medical, when I see fluoroscopies of restored blood flow in arteries that were previously blocked and know that a patient's life was potentially saved, I get completely intrigued and spend extra time learning more about the science. You know, on the weekends here, it's often just three executives that are in the office, and we end up discussing a lot of strategy and bounce creative ideas with each other that we just don't have time to do during the week. So that's been invaluable, you know, in my uh, career success and also the success of the companies. When we come back, Andrew shares his 12-month finance leader priorities after these words from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. 
As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Um, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities when it comes uh, to being a finance leader of Rob Medical Systems? Well, you know, we had our first uh, quarter of full production revenue uh, in Q3 of this year. It was a great quarter, and we've got a really exciting 12 months ahead of us. We're going to be increasing our sales force. We're going to be expanding marketing efforts. And we're also going to be starting clinical trials to increase product offerings and indications. Uh, in fact, coronary is the next indication that we want to go for. And we believe our success in clearing plaque in the peripheries will translate well to coronary, especially in stents, where many of our competitors are contraindicated. So I think managing that growth and spending as well as overseeing the SEC compliance uh, as a new public company will be my priority over this next year. Andrew Jackson, thank you for joining us on CFO Talk here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We now continue our interview with Sage in Tax. Kathy Lord. Kathy, if you were a customer success leader in an entirely different industry today, one that wasn't SaaS, do the customer success rules change? You would certainly have to forfeit some of those lines of sight that you enjoy because you're serving cu subscription customers. But what wouldn't change? How can finance leaders of non-SaaS companies succeed as so many of the SaaS companies seem to be at driving customer success today? I actually think when you step back and look at it, it's just as easy for non-SaaS customer success finance leaders to measure the health of their customers. Because at the end of the day, you're still able to measure what's the consumption of your good or service. And really, that's what we do with the subscription model is because it's software as a service, you can see what their usage is. In other industries, you simply need to understand how can we measure how much our customers are using our good or service and set some demarcations for measuring that. The other components of it are thinking about what makes our customers happy. So how, what are ways in which we can gauge? Most industries have some form of review capabilities. So how many of those customers are doing reviews? Uh, if it's something where you would have a repeat buyer, how many repeat buyers do we have? Similarly, again, you can still look at the same concept of referrals. How many referrals are we getting from our current customers? You can actually apply that same framework. It just may look slightly different. And of course, the numbers of what's acceptable and what's not is probably going to vary 
differently whether you're B2B, you're B2C, and what industry you're in. Help us understand how your world and your efforts to achieve greater customer success and the world of corporate finance at Sage Intact have really become one. Is that a reality? Is that the way you look at the world? Ironically, yes. And so I'll say one of the surprises I've had over my tenure here at Sage Intact is the close relationship that I have with our CFO. And so the way we think about customer success, the way we measure it, now it helps he's my customer. So at the end of the day, he's got the the similar psychographics, if you will, of a CFO and um, I can bounce stuff off the wall against him. But more importantly, he's been that partner to say, okay, what are the things we need to measure for the business, both from the traditional KPI metrics, but what are those leading indicators that we can jointly capture in the organization to know, are we on track or do we have a storm brewing within a particular segment of customers, a particular vertical or with a particular product line? And having that alignment with finance and actually systematically tracking that information uh, with visibility to the entire executive team has made a huge difference when issues have surfaced. Because frankly, issues are going to surface with a segment of your customers. It's being able to identify that and apply the right resources to resolve those and remove that friction or those challenges. And having that alignment with the CFO and the customer success leader, I think is critical if you're really going to successfully scale your organization. As someone who has lines of sight into so many customer organizations today, so many finance uh, departments today, what would you tell us? What are the, the sort of the characteristics that sets this group of customers apart? And I would imagine, you know, you're, if you were targeting the marketing t- department, it would be a whole. What separates finance customers? So, so, so all of the finance customers and CFOs, please don't be offended by this, but you're the hardest group to sell to. So when you think about it compared to a VP of sales or marketing or even IT, extremely risk adverse, you know, is, is not used to making decisions about buying new technology because how often does finance want to have to rip out systems and replace them with new ones? Um, you know, they're very much, you know, from the state of Missouri, you got to show me, let me see how it works. I need to touch it. I need to feel it. And so driving change in the organization, even though they know it's important and they know they need to do it, you know, helping hold their hand through those decisions and that change and showing them how other customers like them have successfully done it has been key. And um, I I can't overemphasize the uh, need to help them mitigate risk because at the end of the day, their job is on the line. If they make a bad decision, And they can't serve up accurate information to the rest of the organization so that they can make the right decisions. Kathy Lord, SVP of Customer Experience for Sage Intact. Thank you for answering our questions. My pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or, if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter. 
featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.